Hey, welcome back to Say the Things. I'm your host, Trinity, and I'm here to say the things. And today I'm going to say what I think and know about genitals and specifically how to talk about genitals, um, mostly with kids, because that's kind of where I'm at right now in my life. I have two kids. One is almost four, so she's pretty curious about my genitals and other people's genitals and a little bit about her own genitals. And I have a 14-year-old who is really curious about genitals, mostly his own, but um, yeah, he's getting, he's getting schooled in science class about the reproductive system right now. And he's finally, for the first time maybe ever in school, um, interested in a topic. It's meaningful learning for him. So I'm pretty excited about that. Here's where I stand as a parent and as an, as an ed- educator. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ah, sorry. <laughs> okay. I believe that when children ask the question, then they are prepared to hear the answer. If we're just delivering information to them, they may not be totally in tune or ready to hear the truth. But I feel like the moment they ask, then they are emotionally and intellectually, cognitively prepared to hear the real truth. So let me back up a a few years ago. I think my son was about eight or nine and we were driving. A lot of our meaningful conversations tend to happen in the car. We were driving and he said, okay, mom, I really just need to know how does the baby get in the belly? I don't want to hear, you know, it's love and magic, all that stuff. I want you to tell me how does it actually get in there? And so I slowed down a bit and I knew that this was one of those moments that he was prepared to hear the truth. So I said, okay, I'm going to tell you the scientific method. And I explained it to him using biological terms and he thought it was disgusting. And his initial response was, I can't imagine dad wanting to do that to you. So of course there came a conversation about consent and pleasure and that his dad wasn't doing that to me. We were doing that together and engaging in that together. And once the ovum had been fertilized by the sperm, then he began to grow. And when I got pregnant with his little sister, 10 years after he was born with her father, he had more questions about um, the length of a pregnancy and and if it hurt, and he saw me going through it. So he, he witnessed a lot of the truths about uh, pregnancy. And I had just had a miscarriage right before conceiving her. So I was very upfront with him when I told him I was pregnant. 
I let him know that one in three sometimes, the number can be one in four, but it can be as high as one in three women will have a miscarriage or um, there will be a, a loss of pregnancy or um, or of life either before or when that child is born. And, and he understood that somehow. So what I'm trying to say and what I'm going to discuss over this episode is that it's good. It's okay. It's more than okay. It's great to speak openly about genitals, sex, sexuality with kids, as long as they're asking the questions. So, okay, let's, uh, let's fast forward from that first conversation in the car to the, the next conversation that we had about sex and actually more genitals, genitalia. My son and I were driving to New York City. We were going to Brooklyn and we had about six hours ahead of us. But as we approached the border, he was playing his music. I got to start us off with the Beastie Boys because you have to start off a road trip to Brooklyn with no sleep till Brooklyn. And then it was his turn to DJ and he was playing a lot of Kendrick. I love Kendrick, so it was great. Um, but he has a couple songs. There's one in particular, I'm terrible with titles, um, where he's mentioning a lot of pussy-ass people. And since we were in line at the border, um, I could kind of take the time to pause, rewind, and and slow down. And I asked him, what does pussy mean? And he was like, mom, you know what pussy means. And I was like, but what you tell me, you, what do you think it means? And he's like, well, it means like wussy, wimpy, weak. I was like, yeah, okay, that's my understanding too. But what is a pussy? He's like, mom, you know what a pussy is. He was 11 at the time. And I was like, yes, I do, but do you? He's like, yeah, a pussy is a, a vulva. I said, yeah, pussy is like the whole vagina. And we've just to cut in here. We are a family. I'm a, I'm a mother who raised my son mostly alone for 10 years and have never shied away from using the anatomically correct words for body parts. So, you know, if he, you know, how kids often invite themselves to join you in the bathroom, you know, he saw he would get an an up close and personal um, front row viewing of my body, and and I always made sure to let him know that the the parts that he was seeing was my vulva. He couldn't really see my vagina because it was on the inside, but that the whole thing is the vagina. Okay, so we're in the car, and he says, "Yeah, a pussy is a vulva or a vagina," and this I also agreed with. So. That brought me to, I love her, Betty White. Betty White encouraged me through one of her famous quotes about the definition of a pussy to bestow this knowledge onto others, specifically my children. Well, my son at this point, because my daughter hasn't yet to ask the question. 
She doesn't know what a pussy is. She thinks that's a cat. So he and I, while discussing, I referenced this, this Betty White quote by asking him if he thought that a vagina was actually a weak body part. And we went through the the functions of a vagina. You know, he knows that it bleeds every month. He knows now that it uh, receives a penis inside of it or fingers inside of it, sometimes quite aggressively. Um, So it could take a pounding. And he knows that it is the channel for one of the channels for giving birth. And he knew that I had had two natural vaginal childbirths. So (laughs) in reiterating these stories about vaginas, he came to quickly realize that, in fact, no, a, a pussy is really not weak. A pussy is very strong and can deal with a lot. I then invited him to consider a body part, specifically genitalia, that are quite sensitive and weak and delicate and prone to a lot of pain upon even some gentle touching. (laughs) The look on his face when he understood how messed up it was that we reference the pussy as something that is weak. And yet we talk about courage and masculinity or bravery and hardness about balls. You know, you've heard people say like, oh, she's got some real balls or you got it. That takes balls. You got to, you got to grow some, you got to grow a pair of balls to do that. That's talking about being strong, (laughs) the opposite of being a pussy. And really, this is one of the most illustrated and obvious reasons that I can see for the need of flipping the script. So that was a great conversation. We both laughed a lot. He was in awe of it. And I really secretly hope that he's passed that on to some of his teenage friends because I think they would get a really huge kick out of that. Um, uh, (laughs) I think he would be really embarrassed if I brought it up at one of his birthday parties, but I just may. I just may. So that conversation led us to a different conversation about having to flip the script. And I'm going to save that for another episode, but that is a beautiful opportunity to talk about social norms and society and how it's built and how it's one big fucking lie. So anyway, you can just let your imagination soar with that one. Let's flip back to the four-year-old. So if you're a parent, you know that, especially specifically mothers, you know that when you go to the bathroom, it's really kind of an open invitation for your children, your animals 
to join you in there. Even if you would like some privacy, it's not yours to have if you have kids. So uh, that's been my experience. And I know I am not alone in that. And it started back when I had my son. I was a single parent. And where I went, he came with. And he always had like a pretty up close and personal front row viewing of my body, especially when he was, you know, in his little infant chair right in front of the toilet because we had a very small bathroom back then. And that's where he sat. And I know he witnessed a lot about my vulva. He saw blood coming from it. He he watched me clean it in the bath. You know, he when he was starting to understand uh, about his birth and looking at photos of his birth, he understood that that's where he came out of. And he's really had, you know, probably a very intimate relationship with my vulva, not in the way that maybe your brain just led you to, um, but in a very, you know, visually um, intimate way because he's been up close and personal in there. And, and it's been the same with my daughter, even though I haven't been raising her as a single parent, um, she comes with where I go. And because she's female and um, is curious about what that means for her and her future, um, yeah, we discuss it. We discuss my menstrual cycle. It's a hot topic around here. And I'm one of those, um, maybe you would call me a hippie mom, hippie dippy mama, where I've been using reusable menstrual products for over 20 years. So I have a cup and I've even been that person to fertilize my plants with it. But they are not afraid of my moon blood. That's what we call it so lovingly. And there are great conversations that can be had around menstrual cycles and menstruation in in general and some of the traditions um, that different cultures have around the menses and that special time for women. I like to use the opportunity to remind my family that this is a kind of a sacred inward time and that it's a special time for mamas. They may need more love and care and help in the house. And it usually means many more baths alone and lots of tea and some sleep-ins. So even though the sleep-ins don't happen very often, um, there is kind of this acknowledgement of extra care for me around my menstrual cycle. And it's also led to some beautiful dialogues about what that means for males and why males don't really have this same signaling of their cyclical relationship with time and the earth and rotation and the moon. And I wholeheartedly believe that it's there and we just don't, they do not have, um, a, a sing, a signal for it. So 
when I see that you know my son is um, more emotional, um, maybe a little bit sensitive, and um, and needing a little bit more care and compassion, I try to remind him that he is a cyclical being. He is a human. He's an Earthling, and his genitals just mean that he doesn't get to bleed and signal that time like women do or with like people with with vaginas i don't know how to be politically correct yet i'm getting there but um yeah i'm not there yet so please excuse me or correct me gently call me in if uh if i've offended you with any of my terminology i'm still learning um, this just brings up so many topics. I just, I don't even know where to go from here. I'm just kind of like spewing these ideas out to you. Um, but yeah, I, I think talking about humans as cyc- cyclical beings and gender, one thing, I mean, this doesn't totally have to do with genitals. It has more to do with gender assignment. Um, but I guess for some people that's one in the same. And, um, What I've noticed as an educator and also uh, having the privilege of birthing both, um, uh, I'm going to say a boy and a girl, someone assigned a male gender and someone assigned a female gender, though my daughter did argue that for a very long time. And I feel like maybe she was just broken down, but she, upon finding her first words was adamant that she was a big boy. And I liked to honor that, but a lot of people around her did not. Um, she's out of that now, but she does say she wants to grow a penis when she's older. Okay. That was a side, side note. Back to what I was going to say. I feel like this is kind of goes back to flipping the script and we can talk about this in another episode, but I really feel like we have got it so wrong in terms of how we portray males in our North American culture and kind of like worldwide from what I know and how we portray females. Because when my son came into this world and as he was developing into a young person and his own personality, all I could see in him was this sensitive, highly emotional, extremely gentle, very empathetic, hyper-compassionate and understanding and emotionally intelligent person before me. There were a lot of tears. There was a lot of sorrow. um, There was a lot of joy. There was a lot of emotion. And somewhere... And somehow, just from being out in the streets with his neighbors and friends and going to school in the public school system and any school system that's not homeschooling, I guess, would do that to you. Um, He's had that, like, not literally beat out of him, but has been knocked out of him. You know, even though with me as his safe space, and I know his father holds that safe space for him too, he's able to be his authentic self. I just... I want to just say that it's my belief that males are generally really soft, sensitive, emotional, caring beings. 
And females, on the other hand, like my daughter came out and uh, most of the young girls that I have had the the privilege of of teaching and guiding in their early years are super strong-minded, very articulate, um, extremely opinionated, and pretty hard, fierce beings. And I just, and you know, and that is, that's knocked out of them too. They need to quiet down. They need to sit still. They need to be polite and soft and feminine. And the exact opposite is taught to boys. Don't cry. Don't show your emotions. Be hard. Be tough. Be a pussy. (laughs) In In its truest sense, be a pussy. And, you know, girls or, you know, people born with pussies, with vulvas, are really embodying that kind of pussy mentality that, and I'm not talking weak and wimpy. I'm talking the real pussy, the tough and strong and durable. And, and males, people assigned with the, you know, male genitalia, penises and testicles, they're kind of sensitive and gentle, just like those, those really sweet, moving, very, very delicate testicles that if you flick, you know, they get hurt. And um, I just wonder why and where that entire idea and reality got switched up because it makes no sense to me. It is, you watch, you watch girls be born and develop. And for the most part, these beings are strong and fierce and, and yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm being redundant now, but the boys that I know, um, from a very early age have all been, you know, extremely sensitive and in tune with their emotions. And, oh, I just, is there, um, I mean, of course there's been some kind of fear, uh, of women, somewhere along the way where that whole, um, perception was, was flipped. Hmm. Something to think about. Now, although I am a university graduate, I am really not in a scholarly phase of my life. I like to read articles, but don't ask me to write you a bibliography or attach any kind of um, author's name to a quote because I'm just, I'm not here for that. I, I, I really like to uh, give credit where credit is due. Absolutely. But in this space, this is just about me flowing and, um, And so, yeah, don't, I mean, you can ask me and maybe if I find the time, I'll do the extra research and write some notes. I'm just not there yet. Maybe I'll get there. But for right now, this is just like a fun outlet for me. That is a preface to say that I I do like reading articles. And recently I read one about some research that has been done about the, um, the benefits of speaking with children about um, genitals and their bodies 
using anatomically correct terms. And this is just something that is just innately came to me as a parent, as an educator. But they're saying that kids who have this knowledge and use this knowledge are less prone to become victims of sexual abuse. And I find that really interesting as a sexual abuse survivor myself. I mean, it didn't happen necessarily when I was a kid. I was a teenager. I was my son's age um, when it first happened. And I think if I had felt more empowered over my body and a little bit more aware of my body and less ashamed of my body and maybe a little bit more open about discussing my body with with people I trusted, like my parents or my dance instructors or something like that, then maybe I would have taken a little bit more ownership over it um, in that time. I'm not sure. But I just thought that was an interesting idea that I wanted to float out there. And if you have any feedback about that, or if you know more about that, please drop it in the comments on my Instagram page, because I am very curious about that. Um, you know, I, I, I detest the idea of how we have to like teach kids how not to get sexually abused. Um, I don't love that idea because I, I prefer the idea of teaching people how not to become sexual abusers or abusers of any kind. Um, and that kind of leads me into this next little conversation that I had with my son very recently. As I, as I mentioned, he's studying the reproductive system and, um, sex in, in general in science. And he's studying for his midterms right now, his exams tomorrow. And, um, we were talking about, um, I think they're called STBBIs now, uh, previously known as STIs, previously known as STDs. Um, but yeah, STBBIs, I believe they're referred to now. And we were talking about chlamydia because that's definitely going to be on his test. And I shared with him about the time that I contracted chlamydia. And it was while I was with his father. And his dad happens to be a very squeamish and sensitive fellow when it comes to anything to do with um, medicines or blood or the body. So it was a very sensitive topic to bring up with him. I had been raped in a, um, in a bar, actually. I was drugged and raped and then dragged uh, down the street, I guess, to the perpetrator's home, I'm guessing. Um, and I have very little recollection of that event, but I did get a phone call from a friend the next day checking in with me saying that he saw me on the street and that I looked really scared and really out of it. And of course I was. And, um, the mistake that I made, I'm sure there were a few mistakes leading up to that moment, but the mistake that I made following it was I went home after discovering that I didn't know where I was and I had a shower because I felt awful. And then the memories started coming back and I started to see these bruising bruises on my body and 
I was very sore in specific areas and I realized what had happened. And unfortunately, I I had washed away all the DNA evidence, but I still went to the clinic and got tested for everything and had documentation done. And even though this is a side, side note, but even though I, um, I went to the police and I found out who the uh, attacker was and I pressed charges or I tried to, my case was dismissed because we need to flip the fucking script. Men, generally, especially white men in power, are very uncomfortable discussing sexual abuse. So that can be another topic. But I did share this with my child because it was helpful for him in terms of learning about the clap. And we were discussing how it's it can be very symptom-free. It's asymptomatic oftentimes. And so even though I hadn't had sexual relations with his father after the abuse, because that took me a long while to go back to, um, his father had to be medicated with the same antibiotics that I had been given because perhaps it was him who passed on chlamydia to me. There was, you know, a chance of that since he was my only partner at that time. And maybe he was asymptomatic, so didn't know. So anyway, that was where that learning came from and that conversation came from. But Now that my son is 14 years old and he is in an environment oftentimes left alone with people his own age, maybe a few years older, I want him to know that abusers are out there and I want him to know not to be one. So we are going to have those conversations. And even though, you know, maybe I'm being hypocritical right now, even though he did not ask me if I had ever contracted chlamydia, I felt like because I know my son, he was ready to hear that answer. So, and the truth of it. And so I, I delivered it to him. I brought it up and, and he handled it very maturely and we had conversations about it. And, you know, he, he, I think respects the amount of healing and processing that's gone that's gone on with me as an individual, as a woman and as a, as a human adult so far. So yeah, speak truth with your kids. Okay. When they're ready for it, I would never discuss that with my four-year-old, but I will discuss how there are eggs in my ovaries and how with the help of her father's fertilizer, she came to develop into the person that she is. And every time that I bleed, my have my moon blood that is in correlation with the timing of the moon, that I am releasing one of the eggs that I will not develop into a baby or that will not develop into a baby because it hasn't been fertilized between her dad and I. And this is something that she's curious about 
and this is something that she can understand. So yeah, speak about speak about genitals. And if you're uncomfortable talking about genitals with your teenager, one great tip that I have is ask them to tell you. Invite them without judgment to tell you what are the worst words that you know that are descriptions or definitions for private parts. And just, you know, don't look shocked because you know the words, you know all of them. And when you hear it coming from them, it's going to sound pretty offensive, but they know them too. Most teenagers know these words and most teenagers probably use these words. So if you kind of take the shock value out of it, my experience has been that my kids will come to me with the questions that they have, knowing that I will provide them with the truth. And I encourage you to do the same. And, you know, if you don't have kids, that's cool. Talk about this with your partner. When I first met my husband um, and we decided to become intimate with each other, he made a reference to my vulva that I had never heard before. And I was so, I was pretty insecure about my body at that time for some reason. I, I could list the reasons, but I won't. And um, we just had like a really... <laughs> frank and open discussion about my body, specifically all all the things that I felt insecure about before going any further. And it was so uh, releasing. I don't I don't know. It was it's expansive. Um, and it got us to another level of intimacy without any physicality attached to it. It was just us um, opening our brains up and our language up and our understanding up about where I was at with my body. And it was a very, yeah, inspiring and motivating and extremely intimate experience. So I think, you know, it goes the same. It goes, it goes the same for adults in your life. When somebody asks, they're ready to hear the truth. So say the damn things. Thank you for joining me. Until next time.